0: from the hills reconfigure your life change your heart and prepare you for all that god has destined you to be welcome to the hills church so we don't have
1: much time today but um you know just so i'll just help set foundation because some people are here today who weren't here yesterday and we're talking about the theme of the conference is rebuilding the ruins and i I just want to repeat what i said yesterday so it helps set the tone because you're going to be hit by so many things So you need to be ready. Just fasten your seatbelts where you are. You're just going to be hit from all sides. And you will just be reeling from everything you hear. So you need to go back and absorb. So rebuilding ruins, I just want to take those two words. To rebuild means to build again something that had been destroyed. And what I tried to do yesterday was highlight the fact that it is one thing to build something new, but it is another thing to rebuild. And you rebuild because something went wrong. And if God is emphasizing rebuilding in this time, it's because there are many things that have gone wrong. He's not looking to do new things. He's looking to recalibrate what is there for his use. Because many of us, and I was highlighting the issues around foundations. The Bible says in Psalm 11, that if the foundations be faulty, what can the righteous do? So there's nothing you can do without a right foundation. And what God, I feel, is doing with this is to correct a lot of foundations that are faulty. In some cases, you need to only cure the foundation. In some cases, you need to bring down the building and raise it up again. We are at different stages. But God is working because what he has as a church today, he can't use the way it is. But it's not about griping and complaining the church is this, the church is that. You are the church. So we are part of the problem. So for him to use the church for his glory, he has to recalibrate the church. And that's what this is all about. The second word, ruin, speaks of something that has, an, most times an old building, that has become either dilapidated, disintegrated, Every D word you can think of has happened to it. So it's just, it's just, I like the one Pastor Moore used yesterday, the Chernobyl disaster in 1986. That place now is it's not just like a ghost town. It's just overgrown. It's like a building you don't complete. Only goats and chickens live there. It's not meeting the need it was meant for. And so if we're rebuilding the ruins, then you know that there are cobweb places in your life that God needs to go into and restore. So I want you to keep that at the back of your mind when everyone speaks. That's what God is doing in this time. So my bit of it was to speak about the road less traveled. And when I finally landed yesterday, after two hours, I was shocked that Pastor Mo said I did two hours. I was like, wow. (laughs) Even me, I did myself. (laughs) I'm not doing two hours today, so don't be worried. (laughs) But where I landed was the road less traveled It's about the place of intimacy. And just for the benefit of those, I just shared that, you see, when we look at building, we have this tendency to think about new things. And what God dropped in my heart is he wants to correct things because I used two examples, Rahab the harlot and the woman with the alabaster box. And those were people who, to all intents and purposes to us, who are so... Uh, holier than thou. They're just the worst of the worst. But God used them. In case you didn't know, Rahab is in the lineage of Jesus. She's um, David's great great grandmother. She and her husband gave birth to Boaz, who married Ruth. <laughs> Ruth gave birth to Obed. Obed gave birth to Jesse. Jesse gave birth to David. She's in there. Ashebo. You no, know, there's some words in English you can't use to describe some things. So when you know that God can use her, then your problems are minute, and God can use you. Because what I felt strongly is there are many people who have blocked themselves, they've consigned themselves to a place where they feel they can't be used because of what they think they've done. If God can forgive her, not just forgive her, what also struck me in preparing for this was, she said to the spies, your God, and she was talking about the Lord, Yahweh, who told her by Yahweh? Because the Jews don't call that name anyhow. Who taught her? So that's why you see by faith, in Hebrews 11, by faith, she was saved. And not only her, her whole household. She asked them that if you have mercy on me, save my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, all we have. And that's exactly what happened. If you have gone wrong, you beg God for yourself. But she asked for everyone and she got everyone. That tells you there's something there. So, what I want you to hold, because I know there are people who have come with condemnation, have come with guilt, have come with a feeling of inferiority and a a, a perpetual state of hopelessness that I can never amount to much. Break that, and that's what I feel God is breaking to in this season. He will break that, and he will launch you into the place that you never thought you could get to. Amen. And so, for me, the road less traveled speaks of the place of intimacy. And those women demonstrated that as warped as they seemed. Because the woman with the alabaster box came to Jesus. She broke, you know, the alabaster box contains precious ointment that it's reputed to be like a year's savings. Something that is so, so precious. And she just broke it and just poured it on him and was crying over him cleaning his feet with her hair I mean that is the ultimate act of worship worship is not singing so what I want to speak to today about intimacy I'm not talking about coming to God to sing only it's coming to God your heart is the first thing that comes to God and that's where I want to take off today because that's I tried to prepare (laughs) after we spoke I was trying struggling I couldn't get anything. Intimacy. 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 That's all I kept hearing. So I'll try and be obedient. I take off from Amos chapter 9. Amos chapter 9, verses 11 to 12. It says, this is God saying, On that day I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. And I will repair its damages. I will raise up its ruins. I will rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does this thing. And, you know, for me, it's very instructive. When you read through scriptures, there are three tabernacles that are mentioned in scripture. There's the tabernacle of Moses, or the temple of Moses, There's the temple of Solomon. And then there's the tabernacle of David. But God says, in the times that will come, the one I will restore is the tabernacle of David. And if you know anything about the temple, the temple was divided into three parts. When God instituted the plan or the blueprint for the temple, when he gave it to Moses, it spoke of three parts. The outer court, where everybody could come to, the inner court, where only the priest would come, where you have done the sacrifice out there, then you come in there, where you have the table of shoe the candlesticks, the blah, blah, blah. And then the Holy of Holies, where you had the Ark of the Covenant, which was the presence of God. And it was veiled from everyone's view. And only one person, the high priest, could go there once a year on the Day of Atonement. So it was screened from everybody. It was not meant to be seen by anybody other than the high priest. And it was so, you know, God is very process-driven. So when people think the spirit means liberty and you can do anyhow, it's not true. God defines how things should be done. And when you go out of sync, you're buzzard meat. So he said the priest must come. That time he comes once a year. He must dress in a particular way. And then his garment must have tassels with bells at the ends. That's a very practical reason. If God kills him there, when you stop hearing the bell, you know he's dead. So if he dressed wrongly, right down to his underwear, if he dressed wrongly, would just kill him inside there. Then they have to tie a rope around his waist and draw him out. Because nobody will go in there to get him. So when, when the severity of God, people think God is just a lovey lovey. God is lovey-dovey. He's also a judge. But in David's tabernacle, what he instituted was to bring it into an open tent and put the ark there and just set up 24-hour worship around it. That meant it was not secluded from people's view and any and everybody was just dancing around, making noise, you know, and nobody died. The scripture I read yesterday in Ezekiel 36, it says, I will take out the stony heart and put in a heart of flesh. That has always been God's design. It wasn't about Israel. It wasn't that Israel was the best. In, it was that he would choose a people to himself that will model what he wants for the rest of the earth. It was always his plans that the Gentiles, you and I, would come in. And so the tabernacle of David speaks of what has always been in God's heart that his presence will be open to all. That's why immediately Jesus died. The veil was rent into eternally. And we have access. It says, come boldly into the throne of grace that you might have mercy and grace for the much needed time. That's what the tabernacle of David represents. And all, all that speaks to me is intimacy. And when you study the character, I want you to take time out and go and study the character of David. When you study David, you begin to understand what is in God's mind. God wasn't looking for a perfect person because David was by, by no means near, near perfect. I mean, the first day I read in the book of Acts that he was a man after God's heart and he would do all his will. I said, God, how can that David how about Bathsheba, Uriah, David? <laughs> All your will? Is that true? And God set me to take time and study David. And I began to understand, you see, God, his, the parameters God uses have to do with the heart. They don't make sense many times. But he, he, he's, he's not... You see, in David, it seemed like God was looking the other way for murder, which you could get stoned to death for adultery which you get stoned to death and all god said was you cost my name to be held in contempt he didn't kill him he only took away certain things but he still instituted him and he left him with Bathsheba. and to add insult to injury he is the is god that named solomon you know is god that said solomon who was not the first son will be king and gave him the name Is that not uh, somehow? But you see, David taught something in God that many can't. David is the epitome of grace which we have in the new covenant from the old covenant. That he didn't die for what he did is the mercy of God. And in the old covenant, mercy was not one of the things you knew God for. You just know, hit and die, point and kill. (laughs) (laughs) Forgive me. I have some graphic images. So, David displayed that. And what what it taught me is that there's a place David got to with God. He had an understanding of God that many don't. Because when you look at how he brought the Ark of the Covenant back, the first time he tried to, Uzzah was killed. And he says he was upset with God. The ark was in the house of Abinadab. When the Philistines had sent it away, after he had done them many things, they just sent it away. It got to the house of Abinadab and it was there. So David wanted to bring it back to the city of David, to Jerusalem. And he went and got a cart. They they put a cart, a new cart. Because, you know, you have to bring new things for God. You don't just do anyhow. And they put it on the thing. And Uzzah, who had lived with the ark all his life? you know probably was a small boy when they brought the ark we were playing around it it's a piece of furniture. He saw the ark and he wanted to study it good intentions, but God killed him. and since David was upset, how would he kill him? But he went to study the order of moving the ark and realized that it's the Levites that must carry that ark. They must be consecrated, and that every so often you perform a sacrifice. And so he went and brought the ark. No, in fact, I forgot to say that the, the ark was in the house of Obedidam. He just abandoned it. He just found the nearest place, and it was the house of Obedidam. For three months, the ark thrived. I mean, the household of Obedidom thrived. Now, you ask yourself, why would they thrive? Is it just because the ark is there? Because the antecedents of God... The way Uzzah treated it, if Obedidon treated it like that, they would all have died. So Obedidon must have done something right. You must learn to read the Bible, not as a storybook. God gave us brains for a reason. And so he sent to go get the ark. But he now determined that they would, he told the, he told the priest, consecrate yourselves, do all that is needed. But when they, and he set up a tent. But when they brought the ark, they didn't institute the three parts that was meant for the temple, which God had instructed. Instead, they put it in the open. Now, if you think about it, David, is, he has Uzzah at the back of his mind. Is he going to go in any way contrary to what the, the way prescribes? So why did he do that? Obviously, God must have said something to him. God must have given him an insight into what he wanted to do. And that's why God could honor him and say, I will rebuild the tabernacle of David. Because what he did was in the heart of God. And that's why nobody died. Now, where I'm going is that kind of talk from God cannot come just ordinarily. It has to be in the place of intimacy. It is revealing secrets because nobody knew this before David. Nobody. You only reveal things that are dear to you to people who are dear to you. That's the place David occupied in the heart of God. Remember when David was running away from Saul and they got to where was that place where Doak the Edomite was? Doeg, the other night was. He says there was no food. He ate the shoe bread. The shoe bread is holy and consecrated to God. He ate it and he didn't die. Who does those kinds of things? And you just be daring God up and down. There are things David did that hey, I'll be afraid to try. But he did them with boldness, with understanding. And he knew that he had a special place with God. One thing you know, I, I want you to take time and read the Psalms. You begin to understand David's mindset. He will start with one. Oh, why are you downcast oh, my soul? And he'll talk about all the things. By the end of that psalm, he's glorifying God. Pattern with David. You begin to see that there are dealings that God took him through that they are not recorded in scripture. When he talks about my skin is like worms, so he must have gone through certain diseases. Maybe STDs, we don't know. But he went through things. (laughs) He went through all kinds of things that are not recorded. He didn't murmur or complain. He would only in his psalm and it is to God. And then he ends up glorifying the name of God. That's why he was special to God. Do you remember the time when after Nathan confronted him and he said, you have sinned against God. And he said, "I I have sinned against God. Immediate repentance. You see, that's one thing I think God loved about David. You hardly see him do one thing twice. So when he does it, he repents. Nathan didn't need to tell him much. He just said, I have done evil in his sight. And he says that child that they had was sick. And he went to God. No food, no water. He just stayed before God, interceding and begging for that child. But he says the child died. The, The servants didn't know how to tell him. So he just noticed some whispering. He says, The child dead. He says, Yes. He just got up, went and had a shower. We are yeah, bringing food and eat. And I think, ah, How? What? You are, you, are, you are refusing to eat. You are, he said, ah, I besought the Lord. It didn't please him to reach the child. Let's move on. And then he says, He comforted Bathsheba, and she had another child. And it's God that came and. Said this child shall be called Jedidiah and he shall be the one that will succeed you. It's not normal. But it is the ones who are intimate with God that he will reveal himself to in deep ways. David didn't need to fight many people. Yes, he fought wars but where it mattered he didn't need to fight. When Absalom came and chased him out. As he was going, Shimei, who was from the tribe of Saul, was abusing him. You're a bloody man, spitting, throwing stones. And you know, Abishai. I like Abishai. He said to David, let me just one strike, I take his head off. <laughs> David said, Be coming down, <laughs> you bloody son of Jesus. <laughs> He says, Perhaps the Lord has allowed it. That if we go, if he will allow us come back. God will do what he needs to do. And when he came back, the same she made, ah, it was the devil. You know, there are many things we ascribe to the devil. It's not the devil, it's your mind. The Bible says, you are not tempted. The <laughs> like God doesn't tempt you. It is you that by your own lust are tempted away. And he just left him. But when he was going to die, he told Solomon, don't allow that guy to go to his grave. So Solomon just put him in one place. Say, if you, if you step out of this place, you are dead. And the guy decided to, and that was how he died. If you take nothing away from what I'm saying, understand that there's a place of intimacy. That you will not hear things. You will not know things until you come into that place. And that's what I feel God is highlighting in this time, in this season, in this dispensation. That he's not going to be speaking to everybody. You know, P.I. yesterday, accurate, spot on that there was a calling out and there's another calling out. Absolutely. So when COVID hit and then there was lockdown, everybody just went online. So people discovered platforms and were just enjoying it. What people enjoyed more than anything is the liberty. No constraint. People won't be, if I don't come on Sunday, if I just come in, many people will just log on, mute the mic, I'm going about their business, come back at the end. Who are you deceiving? <laughs> so now when many churches are open, people, <sighs> but what God is doing, he used that, if you didn't know, to separate. He says in the last days, in the end time, there will be a separation of the goat and the sheep. There's a constant refining going on. You need to be careful. Because what God is doing is those who are called to him, they are doing things underground. In the fullness of time, they will manifest. It will be late then for many. This is the time. So many people are so bogged down with social media. You wake up, go to bed, you're pressing. You're, in fact, you have a uh, trigger finger very soon. Your fingers will just be like this, permanently. Because <laughs> they're just constantly on the phone. There's a time to put, put aside and just engage God. God made man that he might fellowship with man. God is an interactive being and he made us the same way. I remember, I do a saying one time, she took her children and some other children, 10-year-olds. They went out, everybody phone, nobody talking. She sees all the phones, you know, she's a headmistress, she sees all their phones and said, talk to yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> it was very awkward for them. The I while, they got, they got with it. But that's how we are, even as adults. Everybody wants to stay in their own space. As long as nobody in there can do what I like, when I like, how I like, it doesn't work that way with God. When you come to God, that place of intimacy, you need patience. Because you can't hurry God. You can't, you see, people say, the Gideon fleece. If you do it, God will slap you. He allowed Gideon for a reason. It won't be the same. So we, we like doing formula. It happened like this. I covered that thing. He will slap you very well. Because he allowed Gideon for a reason. Because the Lord was writing on what Gideon was going to do, and it was natural to be afraid. So he allowed it. But in your case, he will slap you two, two sides. <laughs> So, the season we are in is all about setting yourself to spend time with God. You know, that mod- model we have of prayer being I come, I bring all my requests, I just, all the list, I read it out, say I spend one hour, two hours. You need to jettison that because when you, if you enter God's presence, you'll be dumb, you won't be able to say anything. Because the awe, the majesty of God. You know, Revelation 4 is the scripture that broke my eyes open concerning what what worship is. Worship is not about singing. It's not about songs. Songs are a natural byproduct of worship. The worship is about the heart. It says the 24 elders who were rulers, had crowns, had thrones, they were over dominions. It says, when he that sits on the throne came in his majesty and you saw the lights, the sardine stones, the beryls, the onyxes, the sapphires, the rubies, in multifaceted colors, when, they, when, it, when he came in his glory, he says they just took off their crowns and lay flat. And all that came out of them was holy, holy. If you read that for you, you see at least two songs that we sing a lot. What comes out of that place of encounter is worship, natural singing. Worship is the bending of your heart before him. your surrender to him. It's not the singing. The singing is a byproduct. So some people tell themselves, I can't sing. When they listen to his music, they're like, oh, I can't sing. So you can worship. God wants your croaky voice. Do you know many songwriters can't sing? Many songwriters, they're meant to write songs, not sing. But where do they get those songs from? What I'm here to do this morning is to frame it for you. Nobody can bring you into that place of intimacy. You have to want to go in there. God is more eager to get you there than you are. One thing that is very key about how we come into that place is how we see God. That is the greatest obstacle to coming to God. Do you see God as a judge? Do you see him as a father? Or do you see him as a lawgiver? I think there's a scripture in Isaiah, I think it's 33 or 23, 33, 23 or something like that. It talks about judge being, God being the Lord, being the judge, being the lawgiver and the king. And if you see God as a judge, it means your interface with him is all about legalistic things. He's going to judge me. He's going to, so you're, you come approach with fear. If you see him as a lawgiver, you just see him as very legalistic. That the only way you transact with him is, there must be a law. But if you see him as king, and I use the word king in the context of who God sees a king as. Not one who is a ruler, but one who is like the first among equals, who looks over the sheep, who cares for them. Remember when he said to David, uh, when um, they said they want, Israel said they wanted a king, he says, you don't want a king. He will rule over you. He will make you subservient. He will carry your things, carry your wives, carry your children, carry your cattle. But at the one who he, when he gave them David, he says, I want one who will look after you. And that's why the king had to be one who had been a shepherd boy. Because looking after sheep, sheep are, they're just, Sheep are sheep, sir. Yeah. They're just all over the place. And you need patience to gather them together. In fact, the sheep will just go in the wrong direction. That's why he says he leaves the 99 and goes out of the 1. You're always doing that. Because the sheep, they like to enter trouble. So a king in the mind of God is one who shepherds, who cares for, who tends, who keeps. So is your revelation of God one as a judge or as a a um, lawgiver or as a king. If he's judge, you can't be intimate with a judge. Imagine going to court and the judge is your father and you committed a crime and the judge is to sentence you. In his judgeship, you are gone. You will appeal to his, your, the father now in him. <laughs> Say, Daddy, can't send me to jail. <laughs> a lawgiver you can't relate to him it's only as a king and so our first thing is we need to cure a revelation of who God is because if not it will interfere with you coming to him intimacy speaks of the walls are down vulnerability you are able to say to God Lord I know that I messed up but have mercy for many, you can't see it because you feel it's going to strike you dead. You know, one, one revelation for me is Lamentations 3, where it says that it is, if not, it, is, it is because of your mercy that I have not been consumed. Only if you have been in a place where you know that if you are the one who needed to sentence you, you will, you will do maximum sentence. But only God in his mercy has kept you. You understand who God is as a father. what God wants to do is reset our understanding of who he is because it will hinder many of us from coming to him it is hindering many of us from coming to him so David in anything, no matter what he did he came to God so that time he was laying before the ark or in the temple and begging God was the time he wrote Psalm 51. I just want to pull a couple of those scriptures from there. Psalm 51, verses 10 to 12 and 15 to 17. David said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, And do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And uphold me by your generous spirit. In 15 he says, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice or else I will give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. But he says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit a broken and a contrite heart, these, O oh God, you will not despise. Many of us are afraid to come to God when we've done things wrong because we are afraid of what he will do to us. God is like the father of the prodigal son. He's waiting with outstretched arms to receive you back. But he needs you to come with a heart of repentance You know, when the prodigal son was going back, he wasn't going back to be a son. He was going back, driven by one of the sustainable goals, to feed. And the only way he could, the only place he could go was where he had wronged. You know, what he did was literally wish his father dead because you only share inheritance when someone is dead. And so he says, give me my own, let me go now. So he knew, what he had done. That if he went back. His father might not accept him. And so he was going. Not to come back as a son. But to come back as a servant. But his father. Had been waiting for him. He, would always, he was on the road. Waiting. All the years he had been away. He was waiting. That's who God is. So when we refuse to go back because we are afraid of what will happen, we only increase the problem we will have. He says, if in first John, he John, says, if you will confess your sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive you of all your sin and cleanse you of all unrighteousness today I feel a strong atmosphere of repentance here that we need to come to God I'm not saying confess all your sins when you get home you can do all that but come to him with a heart that Lord I have for so long viewed you in the wrong light I've ascribed unto you one who is harsh who is judgmental not one who is of love for one to give the most precious thing to him up for you who is totally messed up. That's the greatest act of love. And what we do when we refuse to come to him is to spurn what he's done and throw it back in his face. So I'm not asking you to confess your sins which are you have least. But I'm saying come to him and repent of that act of not even recognizing who he is. So I want you to bow your head. And just come. Place your hand on your heart. And just come in a place of repentance. Because where there's an impediment you cannot? It brings a barrier between you and God. And just talk to him and say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for all the years, the months, the weeks, the days. That have refused see you the way you are, that I have thrown back at you your love, talk to him, talk to him, make yourself right with him again. thief on the cross beside you in all the murder and all that he had done you could have mercy on him and he joined you in heaven Lord in your mercy restore us, restore the joy of our salvation take the stoniness in our hearts and bring a heart of flesh upon us Bring us into the place where we are open, seated, yielded, malleable, teachable, open to you. We open our hearts this morning, Lord. Receive life afresh. In the name of Jesus, we pray. I felt the word impediment. That impediments were holding us from coming to God. And they needed to be removed god is more anxious to have you come to him and you know because many of us don't have that understanding we're not even comfortable in our own company so many of us have to have people around phone calls social media to function because we're not even used to our own company coming to god's presence you must learn to be quiet a lot of it has to do with listening Think about Moses spending 40 days with God and going back for another 40 days. He was like a junkie. There's something in the... When you come to God with a real open heart, the time flies. You don't even want to come back. Cultivate the time. Begin to create time. You need to do practical things to help yourself. Shut down, you know, it's not that you must be praying and doing yeah, it's just time with God. Begin to model it, spend, take an hour a day and just shut down. Just leave the time open. You see, the thing about building altars is that when you set something and you need to service it and keep doing it, that's what makes an altar strong. That's why on the other side they keep doing blood sacrifices because they have to service the altar. Your sacrifice is prayer. It is worship. It is time with God. It's communion. That's what develops intimacy. Begin to set yourself. Whatever time works for you, whether it's morning hours, if you're a morning person, a night person, whatever, start to set an hour aside. And say, this is me time with God. Sit down. Don't have a plan. If you need to go and do devotional, do something. But ring fence that time and watch and see what will happen after a month. If it's time you want to spend time, some people are worship inclined, some are prayer inclined, some are word inclined. Whatever you do, set the time. And you'll be shocked how God will be speaking to you and delivering things, giving you insights. Because he desires that we spend that time. And we're not making the time. Don't give me the excuse there's no time in Lagos. If I told you now that That money they gave Davido, eh? I'm going to donate the whole thing to you if you come to my house by 3 a.m. You stay in Ajangbadi. I stay here. You will be here by 2. How it, what what you need to do, you will do it. (laughs) The one who can give that 200 million many times over is the one you are refusing to spend time with. We need to learn to prioritize. to so set time apart and open yourself. All the things we are talking about, rebuilding, he will begin to direct you. He will begin to correct you. He will begin to tell you what you should do and what you shouldn't do. He will begin to tell you about the next day that this is what's going to happen. This is going to come up. Go this way. Go that way. But except you set yourself. You remember with Moses and the burning bush? The Bible says that it was when he set himself to go aside, That the angel spoke. He must have been passing that burning bush. But until he set himself to go aside, nothing happened. That's what God is saying to us now. A song has just been going through my spirit. I woke up with two songs. The first time I heard that song... um, House of Judah sang. Help me build intimacy, build
0: intimacy, build intimacy with you. Help me build build intimacy, build intimacy, build intimacy with you. Lord, help me build intimacy, build intimacy. Build intimacy with you Lord help me build intimacy Build intimacy Build intimacy with you Lord help me build intimacy Build intimacy Build intimacy with you It's a very simple song you know
1: what happened to me when I first heard that song. You know there, there are some songs. Again, it's, it's, it's how you are wired. For me, it is worship.
0: That
1: song was like water entering a room and just going up, one notch, one notch, one notch, one notch, one notch till it drowns you. Nothing to the song. Just help me, be. James. You know, if we sang that thing for one hour, many of you would have left and gone home because we be like, next verse, next verse. It's not the verse see this is part of what intimacy is about you are open that there are levels in that help me you just be singing it and you begin to see things flashes god begins there'll be crescendos there'll be times where without being told they will just jack up the the, the, the music because they are sensing things that's how god works you need to cultivate that place of intimacy I leave you with this song.
0: Ancient words, ever true, Changing. Thanks for listening to this message from the Hills Church. Our mission is to love people, connect with family, and touch the world. Learn more on our website at www.ecclesiahills.org or email us at, at ecclesiahills.org.